New Year and welcome back folks to Plane Crazy Down Under. This of course is the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia Pacific point of view. Steve Fisher back with you once again. This is episode number 23 and we're recording this on January the 13th, 2010. Grant McCarran is waiting patiently in the wings there and ready to go for 2010. How are you mate? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad mate. I like how you say patiently waiting. I was drumming my fingers and getting all fidgety waiting for you to give me a slot but hey, hey I'm pick, here. Pick me, pick uh, me. Pick me, pick me, yay! And we're recording on Lucky 13. Yay! Yeah, well, of course, you know, my birthday comes around on the 13th of a month, Mm. so I'm not superstitious and I'm left-handed, so... (laughs) There's no hope for me, is there? This could explain a lot. It does really, doesn't it? (laughs) All that and the Dutch descent, mate. Yeah, well, let's not go there anyway. Okay, moving right right along. Moving right along. Let's kick in and have a look at some news, shall we? Yeah, we've uh, we've had a couple of uh, of weeks off, a couple of weeks of uh, rest and relaxation and, uh, you know, basically being baked in the oppressive heat we've had here down in Melbourne the last couple of days. But uh, Mm, Good excuse to drink more alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Like like anyone needs an excuse for that. Not around here. And coming up this week, as always, we've got some coverage of the airlines. Uh, No military news this week, Grant. Mm, Maybe because they're all on holiday. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. We also have an interview uh, for this episode with uh, Shashank Nagam from Singapore, which we recorded a couple of weeks ago from the Simply Flying blog. So we've had a fascinating discussion with him, and that's coming up a little bit later on. We're going to have a little bit of a rant about the US Transport Security Administration. We've got some listener mail and some shout-outs. So, Grant, that sounds like a uh, pretty full agenda. So uh, let's kick it off. Yeah, let's see if we can squeeze this into an hour and a half. <laughs> we should just mention before we go, Grant, that uh, episode 22, the last one for 2009, we actually uh, intended that to be our shortest episode ever, and it somehow managed to end up being our longest, so... Mm, yes. <clears throat> okay. Very Australian. Cool. Love it. <laughs> there you go. So uh, we are going to try and standardise the format a little bit this year, but uh, we're already off to a bad start in that regard. So, Grant, what's yeah. our first story? Yeah, who are we kidding? Okay, first story is uh, a quick flashback to the famous... Indonesian pilot from Garuda who uh, was singing on Final Approach ignored multiple warnings, ignored his co-pilot saying, begging the captain to go around and landed the aircraft at over twice the recommended landing speed, smashing it into the uh, tarmac, skidding off and over the end of the runway and into neighbouring rice fields before bursting into flames and killing 21 people, injuring a number of others. Uh, As we reported previously and had a rather big rant about, he was recently let off, um, let back out into the uh, wild world and was actually trying to return and fly more for Garuda. I had comments along the uh, Are You Flame and nuts yeah. line and uh, question the man's sanity well it turns out I'm not the only one who is a bit concerned about it and I know you it wasn't just you as well prosecutors want Garuda pilot back in jail reads the headline yeah, this is an article that we're reading from here that appears on the ABC News website, uh, posted on January 12th, and uh, saying here that the uh, although the High Court last month uh, quashed the two-year prison sentence of the uh, pilot Mawoto Koma, uh, saying that he tried his best to save the aircraft, the prosecutor's office spokesman says uh, there's an error in interpretation of the law by the High Court. By freeing him, it's like saying the incident never took place. Uh, they're saying the government maintains the position that he should have been jailed. Uh, yeah, let's, I love this bit about they're that. saying he tried his best to save the aircraft. Yeah, right. He was the reason it crashed. Yeah, and of course, uh, many people lost their lives in that uh, that crash, including five Australians. That crash culminated with the European Union uh, banning all Indonesian airlines from flying in its airspace in June 2007 because of these safety concerns. Uh, that 
ban was lifted in July of 2009 for four airlines, including Garuda. Uh, and, of course, Mr. Comer, as Grant said earlier, has uh, gone on the record as saying he'd love to uh, return to flying Garuda, with Garuda or anybody else that'll take him. Let's hope no one does. And let's hope that, uh, well, let's watch with interest and see how that High Court uh, uh, yeah. appeal process goes. Now, of course, I did brand the um, Indonesian justice system as somewhat dodgy the last time we talked about this, and I've really seen nothing since then that would make me change that opinion. But, you know, let, let's hope some sanity prevails here and uh, whatever the interpretation is there uh, let's hope that it's uh, you know defined and uh, an important thing here too I guess is to set a precedent well look there's the concern that if you start throwing pilots in jail they won't report their transgressions and you won't get a safer system yeah and I'm all for that I'm all for reporting transgressions when they're minor I'm all for reporting transgressions when they're accidental I like the whole NASA system they've got in the USA where you can submit your report and if anyone comes and knocking if it's shown that it wasn't gross negligence, if it's shown it was an accident and you've reported it, it's like a get-out-of-jail card. I'm all for that. That helps reporting it. This is clear gross negligence. This is clear psychotic episode. That person should never be allowed back in the plane as a pilot. Let's see how this one goes because, frankly, it's it's anyone who says no, he shouldn't be prosecuted because of keeping the system safe and improving safety is just really shooting themselves in the foot with this one. It's it's not a good look. We've probably said our piece on that one, so let's move on to the next one. Grant, another At one least that- twice. I've said it at least twice. Yeah. <laughs> the next quick story we're just going to cover here briefly, uh, we also found on the ABC News website, and this was actually posted on December 31st. It's talking about a Riverina uh, farmer who's... Um, found a rather novel way to advertise a charity message grant. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he has a large property in the southern New South Wales area of River, Riverina, and uh, Neil Shermer has inscribed the URL for a charity bike ride in enormous letters across his paddock. Uh, apparently, the idea came to him while he was sitting through 100 hours of harvesting. He noted that he's under the flight path of Sydney to Melbourne and Sydney to Adelaide. He's got jets flying over every morning and every evening. So it's the kind of thing you'd see from 30,000 feet up, he reckons. So uh, he's had a bit of fun was what it came down to. Uh, The letters are 80 metres tall and the signage is 680 metres long. So as you can tell, he's got quite a large property. And uh, yeah, he's carved it in there. So unfortunately, I haven't seen any photos or heard any other stories of people seeing it. But hey, it's almost worth uh, taking a flight over the area just to check it out. Yeah, so Grant, uh, while you were uh, doing that little commentary there, I was madly Google searching uh, Neil Shermer and trying to find out just exactly what the charity was um, or is. And uh, none of the articles that we can find anywhere here on the net actually talk about his charity. So uh, although we, we do see that uh, he's raising money for diabetes and cystic fibrosis, which is, uh, you know, quite admirable. But, um, you know, it would uh, really help if we knew what the uh, charities were called. So if anybody knows, perhaps they could let us know on our email address. Failing uh, that, maybe we just need to take a flight from Melbourne to Sydney and look down. Yeah, well, that's all right. Uh, I don't mind going for a flight. Any excuse for a flight? We'll uh, put some. We'll put a link there in the show notes, and if anybody can elaborate, and uh, you know, we, we don't mind helping to promote that charity if we just knew what it was. Okay, uh, the next story that we're uh, going to cover here is talking about uh, plane crazy way down under. In fact, right down at the bottom in Antarctica, Grant. That's right. It's uh, the discovery of uh, Mawson, the Explorer Mawson's aircraft, the one that he took to Antarctica. He was going to fly it over the ice. It uh, had an incident before it got down there, so they wound up turning it into a uh, air tractor to pull their sleds, which in turn didn't work either. We thought the story was uh, pretty cool. In fact, so cool, we included on one of our uh, on our latest Ausdesk for the airplane geeks, and uh, you can have a listen to it here. You've heard of a lot of science being um, inspiration, perspiration, serendipity, discoveries, accidents, things like that. Yeah. Well, 
Many of you may have heard about the um, discovery of uh, the first aircraft in Antarctica a very long time ago uh, in the early 1900s. So Douglas Mawson was off exploring in Antarctica and they were going to bring an aircraft along and fly the first aircraft over the Antarctic ice, which unfortunately suffered uh, some damage and a, it was doing a display prior to even being shipped to Antarctica. It hadn't even reached the ice and it had, a, had an incident. Uh, rather than leave it behind, though, Mawson took it along and the idea was to use it as a air tractor to pull their sleds so they would fire up the engine and uh, use it to drag them along the ice that didn't quite work out either and the aircraft was just dumped in Antarctica and has been uh, missing for a very long time it's been buried in the ice since around 1975 apparently was the last time anyone saw it the aircraft itself was uh, around 1919 1920 aircraft uh, so a team has uh, headed down to antarctica they've taken a magnetometer a ground penetrating radar metal detectors and all sorts of other equipment fully geared up gilled up ready to go the whole system and they found it they totally found the aircraft, but guess what, Steve? How do you think they found it? Uh, let me say, I, I suppose it was uh, all that millions of dollars worth of high-tech equipment, obviously, was put to good use. That's what That'd be my guess, mate. Uh, no, um, their carpenter was uh, out strolling along the uh, beach, and uh, he stumbled across the remains of the aircraft. It uh, A little bit of ice had melted, and uh, he spotted it in some low water, and apparently he wandered into where the guys were setting everything up and starting to plan what they were going to be doing, and he just came in and said, I think I might have found the air tractor. Uh, apparently just like you'd picked up a newspaper at the local store. So, yeah, rather amusing that. You bring all that equipment down, and someone goes, oh, look, here it is here, mate. Yeah, so of course, if I was on the uh, if I was the uh, lead person on the expedition here, of course, the first thing I would have done would have uh, fired that carpenter immediately and taken credit for it myself. Yes, <laughs> and bought a lottery ticket. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> so that just goes to show you sometimes the old uh, Mark One eyeball, as they say, uh, can do wonders by comparison and, to all the uh, marvels of modern technology and a jolly good bit of luck too. Yes, but uh, yeah, no, that was uh, that's great that they found that aircraft, the first aircraft ever on the um, the Antarctic ice sheet. It uh, not the first aircraft to fly, but the first aircraft there. So pretty cool. Yeah. So are they uh, are they looking at uh, excavating this this aircraft and uh, bringing it back to Australia, or what are they going to do with that? Yeah, I'm not sure what they're going to do with it, mate. Uh, if it's been in the ice water uh, for that long, it's it's pretty corroded. So they've got to be very careful bringing it out of brine. Yes, Grant. So the rumours that Tiger Airways are going to be taking that aircraft and adding it to as their next fleet acquisition. They are uh, totally unfounded, you'd say. Uh I, I don't know. They could be thinking about it, but I, I'd say it's not likely to happen, mate. This Week in Aviation History, Australia Edition, with David Vanderhoof. Gentlemen, the temperature for today is 20 degrees for today's hop. The forecast is for winds out of the north-northwest at 12 miles an hour, making it feel a comfortable 10 degrees, with a chance of scattered flurries. Sounds downright balmy, but flurries? Oops, I forgot to convert again. I'm sorry, let's start that over. Gentlemen, the temperature today is 6 degrees negative centigrade with a wind chill of negative 12 centigrade. Oh, and a flurry for those who don't know is when water freezes, becoming a crystal and slowly drifts to the ground from altitude. If you get enough of them, you have to shovel. Little trivia. Did you know that no two snowflakes are ever the same? Enough small talk about the weather. How about some history? 
I know it's been a while, so Happy New Year, but I have returned. It's time to get back on track. The holidays are over, the goose has been cooked, and I'm feeling like a maverick. So let's begin. January 1st, 1960. Fiji Airlines, started by Aussie Howard Gaddy, gets purchased by Boeck, Qantas, and Tasman Empire Airways, with Qantas having the majority interest. The control of the airline, which became Air Pacific, was assumed by the government of Fiji in 1974. Dateline, January 7, 1931. Guy Mendez crash lands on New Zealand. Okay, that's not really what's significant about the flight. Mendez's flight was the first solo over the Tasman Sea. Mendez's flight plan was for Sydney to Perth to avoid any political issues. Like Corrigan, he took off the wrong way and flew to New Zealand. The flight was completed in G. Gulf Alpha Bravo Charlie Foxtrot, the Southern Cross Jr., and Navro Avian 4A. Kingston Smith had used the same aircraft to fly from England to Australia, clearly with a better landing. The flight across the Tasman lasted 11 hours and 45 minutes. The Avian was modified with a different wing and a long-range fuel tanks. Also, evidently, the Avian was the primary trainer of the Estonian Air Force. Probably was also the primary aircraft for the Estonian Air Force. January 14, 1958, Qantas begins a round-the-world scheduled service. Almost simultaneously, two L-1049 Super Constellations took off from Melbourne's Essendon Airport. Victor Hotel, Echo Alpha Oscar, the Southern Aurora, flew east, stopping at Sydney before crossing the Pacific to the United States. Victor Hotel, Echo Alpha Papa, the Southern Zephyr, flew west towards London. The flights inaugurated the Kangaroo Line throughout the Middle East. Because of these flights, Qantas became the first foreign airline with permission to fly over the United States. Well, gentlemen, that wraps it up from here. Um, now, where are those notes for those other podcast guys that I'm supposed to do? Um, well, this has been your PCDU historian, David M. Vanderhoof, sending one message out to you all. Send heat! Well, I don't know about you, Grant. Did you get the impression that it's uh, just perhaps a little chilly over there in Philadelphia right now? I get the feeling that uh, our friend David there might uh, actually be calling up to us through a large tunnel of snow. Uh, I don't think he's really happy with our reports of cooking, baking, and uh, frying at 30 to 40 degrees centigrade. So, uh, yeah, sorry, David, but uh, the heat is here, mate. Yeah, David and I have actually been talking a couple of times during the week on Skype, and uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to contrast. He was talking about having snow pile up above his doorway and uh, on this particular day where it was uh, about 44 degrees celsius here <laughs> it's kind of a little bit hard to picture that from this side of the planet at this time of year but uh, looking, yeah. at, looking at uh, and of course we were actually going to interview Saj Ahmed this week over in London and uh, have a bit of a chat to him again but uh, with the inclement weather that I'm sure everybody's been hearing about over there in the UK right now, it's, um, amongst other things, managed to uh, knock out his in- internet availability. So uh, we had to hold that one over for a couple of weeks. So, uh, Sarge, if and when you uh, manage to download this show and have a listen, I hope you keep a warm-up there, mate. Yeah, and, uh, well, I hope you're keeping occupied without the internet. Oh, what do people do without the internet? Oh, my God. Don't tell me they've got to watch TV or read books. Ugh. Is that what you do? I thought you just sat down and curled up in a fetal ball and just waited till it come back on. <laughs> Okay, there's also that concept about population growth. But anyhow, one last comment on the history segment there. Uh, I've noticed David and a number of other Americans uh, refer to British Overseas Airways Corporation, BOAC, as BOAC. Uh, I've never really heard it called BOAC. I've always heard it called BOAC. 
the British, the Australians, the Kiwis, we all called it BOAC. Uh, was that just me or is that your recollection as well, Steve? No, it's always been BOAC, but, uh, you know, you can understand why some people would call it BOAC. But, yeah, BOAC. In fact, what was that uh, Beatles song, Back in the USSR? Were they? Back in the USSR, yes. Uh, I think they even say there, BOAC, blah, blah, blah. Might be. I'd, I'd have to go and actually listen to a Beatles track to find out. Well, that's okay. As far as we're concerned, David, uh, you know, and David actually describes himself as a, as an Aussie in a US body. As always, we really appreciate the work that he does for us, and uh, we're doing our best here to uh, teach Dave how to speak uh, Australian. Right, proper English, mate. Yeah, and I'm sure the uh, the longer he keeps chatting to me on Skype, either the more confused he'll get or the more he'll get <laughs> up. <laughs> so thanks, David, and uh, we'll look forward to another history report from Dave in uh, another episode or two from now. Excellent. I really do enjoy them. Coming up after the break, Jetstar executives detained in Vietnam, Tiger Airways increasing its fleet size, and what's going on with those Air New Zealand uniforms? Stick around to find out when Plane Crazy Down Under continues in just a moment. Flight experience 556, you're cleared for takeoff. Imagine sitting in a pilot seat, flying past London Bridge or the Eiffel Tower, and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's flight experience. From the roar of the engines to amazing visuals, flight experience puts you in control of the 737 flight simulator. It's so real, your senses actually believe you're flying. For more information, go online to flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight experience, the ultimate flying experience. Experience. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm David. And we're two of the voices in your head. Come join us in the virtual hangar for a little good old-fashioned hangar flying. Well, it's not really old-fashioned. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's a Skype-based virtual hangar that only exists on the internet. But we got beer. Hmm, that is true. And we never know who we might run into. Yeah, yeah, I see that. And I really did get stick time in that F-16. Okay, okay, you win. Uh, come join us for some good old-fashioned hangar flying. Look for the Pilot's Flight Podlog in iTunes. Or visit us at pilotsflightpodlog.com. G'day, this is Owens Up. Join me in May 2010 as I trek around Australia in a Jabiru 230 to celebrate the centenary of powered flight down under and in the process raise vital funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Check out my website and follow my progress at www.thereandback.com.au. In the meantime, sit back, relax and enjoy the in-flight service with Grant and Steve on Playing Crazy Down Under. And welcome back, folks. And, of course, just with regard to the Flight Experience Melbourne commercial that you just heard there, mention the Plane Crazy Down Under podcast when you're making your booking and receive a $10 discount off any package. And we really do thank Flight Experience Melbourne for supporting us here at Plane Crazy Down Under. Grant, what's the next story? Uh, first story in this segment is about the new Air New Zealand cabin crew uniforms. In a word, ooh, ooh even better. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, they've been referred to as uh, making staff look like drag queens and various other comments. What's been released so far is just a section of the full range, but uh, the main picture that's gone out has shown a lady looking like she's wearing something that you might find on your grandmother's psychedelic couch. It looks like she's uh, getting dressed and ready to head over here to Sydney for the Mardi Gras, mate. Uh, what we're looking here is a black and hot pink sort of we- print thing. It just... Uh, yeah, they're working on the Koru motif, uh, uh, similar to what you see on the tail of an Air New Zealand aircraft. 
Uh, I've got to say the guys do seem to have better uniforms, but uh, yeah, it's not particularly brilliant uh, at first glance. And a lot of people are complaining that it's probably those kind of colors and styles are not going to be very flattering to those who aren't a size 10. My partner is involved in uh, fashion. She's had a look at them and gone, mm-hmm. But uh, she's withholding official comment until she's seen more photos of the entire range because as has been pointed out, this photo that we've seen of the ladies is only one of many items they have to select from. So until we see the whole range, we're not going to make a full comment. However, what's also going to be a major part is not how just how it looks, but how it looks at the end of a long-haul flight, how it looks when you put it on put on a fresh uniform before you come back after a long-haul flight. How easy is it to get rid of stains? How well does it resist crumpling? All these kind of things. As anyone who's seen flight attendants moving around at an airport knows, they have very small bags and they have to pack uniforms and uh, gear and so on into them. So quite the challenge to look good and fresh when you've just unpacked after a flight over. All those things notwithstanding, Grant, that, um, I mean, the, the picture here I'm looking and uh, folks, you can have a look at that. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, we're looking at an article here on the sydneymorningherald.com.au website. Uh, that black and pink outfit, well, I just feel sorry for the people who have to wear that. Now, of course, we've been we've had a lot of really complimentary things to say about Air New Zealand of late. They've been doing some great things, but uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Dan Webb of the Airplane Geeks uh, podcast pointed this article out to me the other day and I had a look at it, he said, oh, have you seen Air New Zealand's new uniforms? And, of course, the first thing that came to mind was their commercials where they're all done in body paint. I'm thinking, good Lord, they're going to extend that to the mainline fleet. Woohoo! <laughs> Which probably would have been preferable to what I'm looking at here. So, gee whiz, uh, mate, I hope that's just an experimental design. And, well, maybe if they uh, issue all their passengers with sunglasses, it might be all right. But <laughs> I don't know. It's not my not my cup of tea. I'll put it that way, folks. Yeah. So have a look at that. Uh, click on the link in the show notes and send us some feedback and let us know what you think. Yeah, between the fun that Air New Zealand have had with their uniforms, the previous ones by Zambezi and now this one, and uh, their uh, use of the word disestablished rather than sacking, uh, a couple of blemishes on Air New Zealand's record there, but otherwise they're doing pretty well. There was the most uh, popular cliches of 2009, and the ma- most popular phrase of 2009 business was "elephant in the room." But uh, Air New Zealand. Made honourable mention for the use of the word disestablished rather than, oh, we're sacking them. Oops. Anyway, Grant, we'll uh, we'll leave our friends across the Tasman there to sort out their uh, their clothing issues, and good Lord, I hope they do. Let's move on to our, one of our other favourite airlines, Grant. That would be none other than Tiger Airways. <coughs> oh, yes, back to the kitty cat this week. <laughs> Okay. Uh, an interesting, some interesting discussion there, Grant. Uh, we started, we or actually somebody started a thread on our uh, downwind forum <laughs> regarding uh, new call signs for Tiger Airways, which uh, we might just cover briefly shortly. Uh, of course, their current uh, call sign is GoCat. Correct. Talking to air traffic control, and uh, yeah, there's been some interesting ones. Uh, we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. But uh, in oh, other news, oh the tease, yes, so professional. Anyway, Grant uh, Tiger Airways, it says here on the Daily Travel News International dot com website, has carried their three millionth passenger in Australia. I wonder if they had any happy passengers out of all those three million well i know you're certainly not one of the happy passengers if there are any no (laughs) (laughs) did you pick up on that theme did you (laughs) (laughs) oh it's only taken me six months but uh, i think i'm starting to get the hang of it yeah 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 to celebrate the three millionth passenger to be carried by tiger airways australia the airline is launching a triple travel sale claiming up to 30 percent off airfares a third day of free car rental and up to 50 percent off accommodation well there you go that's nice of them mate that's assuming of course that you can actually get there and you might actually have to use that extra day of accommodation to uh, take up if they cancel the flight on the way back you might actually need it 
Oh, like the poor folks at Rockhampton discovered when their aircraft was delayed by 10 hours because it uh, required further maintenance inspection at Alice Springs. Oops. Oh, there you go. But hey, you know, like Tiger Airways are taking steps to address this. They uh, have actually uh, brought forward delivery of five of their A320 aircraft. These are to help boost expansion into a- Asia and Australia. Uh, they're now going to be delivered late this year and in early 2011 instead of the original dates in 2016. So, yeah, they've organized with Standard Charter bank a uh, structured pre-delivery payment financing arrangement that's a mouthful yeah try saying that three times quickly that's actually an article we found on the yahoo news singapore website correct it was also uh, listed at various other pay-per-view sites uh you know uh, behind paywalls and so on but uh this was one of the one of the freebie sites so hey we'll give them some traffic got a quote here from their chief executive tony davis uh says in view of opportunities for us to grow our business in both asia and australia we have accelerated delivery of these five new aircraft from their original delivery dates in 2016 to now join our fleet later this year and in early 2011 well as i've said a lot about tiger airways they really in my opinion stretch themselves too thin with a very very small fleet so bringing in more aircraft particularly into australia to uh, service their route network is exactly what they should be doing and um, that can only be seen as a positive move indeed more aircraft but it depends if they're bringing in more aircraft and they're expanding their routes to new destinations then you've just got the same problem but spread over more area but if they bring in more aircraft to help increase frequency on routes and uh, make sure that uh, if anything goes wrong you're not left for a day that's a good thing yeah and i and i think too one of the things perhaps that they could look at is is having better contingency plans when they do have mechanical problems uh you know there are other airlines around that can take up the slack or particularly charter airlines Uh, i know that's not something that can be done just on the spur of the moment but having a, a decent contingency plan where they could perhaps bring in other carriers to you know shoulder the load when they have a a breakdown while their fleet is still so small you know that might be one one thing they could be looking at yeah no that would definitely help okay and uh just jumping over here to our four on downwind.com.au and a uh, user by the name of Turb who I'm pretty sure we know comes from the uh, juniorflyer.com website a fantastic website if you've got kids and you're flying he started a thread here called Ouch and it opens by saying I loved your comment recently uh, regarding the Tiger Airways call sign GoCat he kind of thought that was a bit funny Grant that you'd said that's a kind of cat food in Australia but it is yeah so that's that's kind of uh, gone on to taking some other suggestions uh, for what else they could use for a call sign in, instead of GoCat. Highflyer123 here says Pussycat. Or uh, another user here called Ozflyer. I wonder who that is. Says mm. maybe it should be called No Go Cat. Anyway, well, I thought it was funny when I typed. Not, th- not that you're carrying that prejudice onto the forum as well. Of course not. No, I, I'd like yeah. to be consistent, Grant. <laughs> we have Whiskers, Tiger, Reow, Stripey, <laughs> Go for Gold, Leave them. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, leave them behind. Yes, and uh, Tema Second. Tema Second. Oh, that's uh, yeah. gee, that's that's a bit cryptic. That one, mate. Oh, playing Tema Second, playing on um, the fact that it's uh, owned by Temasek Holdings, the uh, Singaporean investment arm, who own most of uh, Singapore Airlines. But one of the I like the one which was Puss Puss Puss, because that's that's what a lot of Aussies do to call their cats. Yeah, Puss 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 Puss. <laughs> but of course, as we all know, all cats are evil. Anyway, indeed. A little bit of editorial comment there. Now, uh, ATC Ben, who of course we know is uh, Ben Ippolito, our, uh, one of our the resident Ip- air traffic controllers. The famous Ippinator. The Ippinator. He's uh, got an interesting one here. He says uh, that originally they were going to use the call sign Stripes. However, this was changed to to the current GoCat. 
Uh, he says here that uh, call signs are a pain to manage for international airlines and uh, Tiger used the same call sign for the entire group, so Singapore and Australian operations. Uh, the mm. call sign is, uh, mustn't conflict with or cause confusion on a global scale for approved ICAO call signs. A case in point, V Australia, and I, I found this quite interesting actually. The ICAO code for V Australia is uh, VAU. They were originally going to use Kanga, however, uh, they were then asked uh, for that to be changed, presumably because internationals would get confused when they were told to follow the Kanga. They'd follow the nearest Qantas aircraft. Of course, Qantas aircraft do have a big kangaroo on the back, on the tail. Mm, yeah, they do it. They uh, then changed it to VOZ, which is actually uh, the one I would have thought made most sense. Must be, because that's what they're using now. However, this has again been asked to be changed, apparently, uh, because it's confusing in Australian airspace when uh, Virgin Blue uses the uh, ICAO code VOZ, uh, mm. but the call sign is Virgin. So you can see the potential for a slip-up. Uh, he says he doesn't know what the next one will be or when it will change, but Velocity has been one that's been rumoured uh, for V Australia. So there you Interesting. go. So so, uh, yeah, folks, uh, if you haven't already, jump over to uh, just click the link off our website, if you like, and jump over to our forum there on downwind.com.au. Grant, we've had heaps of hits on that. I'm really, really happy with the way that's gone since we Yeah, no, it's, it's building pretty well. And uh, I'm having chats with Michael about uh, the next stages of the integration and uh, alignment between playing crazy down under and downwind. So not sure exactly when, but we're working towards getting some more features out that we can use together. Yeah, so uh, Grant's uh, started up a subject there uh, for episode 20. 22 and we'll we'll, uh, we'll start a new one here for episode 23 if you'd like to make some uh, episode specific comments but you can start any thread you like uh, and we've also uh, I've also put a suggestion box on there so if you've got something you know suggestion for the show uh, and that can be anything uh, even some criticism if you like <coughs> yes uh, feel free to do it there but of course um, you know if, if you've got specific comments you can also email us but uh, uh, putting it in this forum allows uh, all of our uh, listeners to uh, see what's being said and what's going on and uh, of course more participation is what we're encouraging here but indeed uh, G Grant we've had three five six hundred odd hits getting up there Maybe wow that cool so uh, very very happy and thanks to those of you who've already uh, participated and uh, yeah keep it up guys great stuff Right, I mate. The uh, the next story that we're going to cover this week is probably the biggest story aviation-wise in this part of the world in the last week or two since we put our last episode out. You know, we're often saying that Qantas is part of the Jetstar group. Well, it looks like now Air Asia is also part of the Jetstar group. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Jetstar have formed a joint venture with Air Asia. It is not a merger. It is not a uh, code share. It is not anything other than a joint venture. Uh, it's like a buying club. The whole purpose of it is to pool their uh, purchasing capital and get some uh, discounts due to volume. So it's for purchasing equipment and services and things like that. As a result of this, uh, you're going to see that uh, both Jetstar and AirAsia start uh, placing orders together for aircraft and um, arranging spares and so on, placing orders together for servicing. Uh, you're going to see the new Jetstar heavy maintenance operation that uh, Alan Joyce was recently talking about, how they've started their uh, apprentice program for uh, engineering apprentices. And uh, you're going to see uh, Jetstar's he heavy maintenance looking after AirAsia's Airbuses as well. So a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to use that horrible business word, but a lot of synergies here and uh, some ways to save money across the board. So it's a pretty uh, amazing thing they're doing and it's definitely uh, 
pointing the way for a lot of other airlines and uh, possibly showing a way of the future if it all works well. I think there's going to be a lot of airlines watching this, uh, low-cost carriers working together in areas they don't compete to try and uh, help reduce the bottom line so they can increase their margins without increasing uh, ticket prices. Yeah, synergy is one of those uh, sort of out-there words, isn't it, that you, you hear from time to time in the business world. But uh, Bruce Buchanan, the chief executive of Jetstar, has been throwing that one around too. He says that uh, there's been a lot of natural synergies between yes. uh, Jetstar and AirAsia, saying they operate the same aircraft types, two similar ports, and had very similar business models. Yes, and uh, you know what it is, mate? We uh, There's a word that sums that up very, all that kind of business speak very well. Rhymes with tank. Okay. Starts with W. Yeah. Oh, well, you know how they, they, they like these sorts of things. I know, I know. It's it's all those ties. They run around wearing ties. It cuts off circulation to the brain. Eh, their brain starts coming up going in weird directions. Yeah, well, you've got to admire Alan Joyce for the way he goes about it. He did say that there wouldn't be any more jet starization of Qantas, but he never said he wouldn't take on AirAsia, so you really can't have a go at him for that. He's been very inventive there in his jet starization of other airlines. <laughs> his non-jet starization of the world. The interesting thing I wonder about here is, are they going to operate still as separate airlines, or um, I wonder well eventually they'll all just become part of the uh, Jetstar or you know appear start appearing in Jetstar colors and 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 what are the ramifications for Air Asia X uh, do they come under this uh, this this agreement as well I assume they would well Air Asia X is the long haul arm of the of Air Asia Air Asia being based in Malaysia Air Asia flies within Malaysia and and the uh, countries around them but Air Asia X flies the longer haul i.e. to here in Australia and uh, ports in Europe and so on so it is going to be interesting to see how it works. I think they're, what they're finding is that uh, AirAsia and AirAsia X have some routes that are different to Jetstars, so they prop each other up a bit here. So, yeah, let's let's wait and see what's going to happen here. It would be a logical next step for them to code share and do something beyond that, but uh, you're going to have to wait and see deregulation of markets uh, and see if something more structural can come out of this. Uh, yeah, it, like I said, it's something to watch. And, and I think this is a, a really positive move for Jetstar at any rate anyway because um, looking at uh, perhaps operating across to North America is one option that they've been looking at, but really we are much closer to Asia and Asia is a huge market as well. And uh, in fact, uh, it's tipped to overtake the market and the European market in terms of air travel uh, volumes uh, by 2014-2015. So yeah, a really good strategic market. We've already seen Jetstar you know, pushing up there into Asia with flights to Japan and so on. Mm-hmm. So uh, this yeah, this does seem like a logical step and I, I think it's a good one. Asia is a more important um, area for Australia. Australia is seen as a western stepping stone into Asia due to uh, we're very similar to many parts. You know, we speak English similar culture to US and the UK, same time zone or very close to the same time zone as most of Asia. We're only a few hours ahead of a la- of large chunks of Asia and in fact if you're in Perth, you're pretty much on the same time time zone as Japan. So, yeah, definitely worth investing more time and effort into uh, linking up tightly with Asia. And of course, speaking of Japan, uh, Japan Airlines has uh, been in the news lately as uh, all but going bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, their shares have been all over the place as they're bankrupt, they're going to be gone. No, the government's going to prop them up. Oh, look, now One World is wanting to uh, 
to entice them over to their world and oh dear it's definitely uh, an interesting world on that one but uh, it's not over yet and who knows they may wind up they may wind up taking up Qantas on their uh, advice package and spin off a uh, their own low cost carrier yeah and that's that's sort of sort of the uh, link I was trying to make there Grant is that with Japan Airlines being yet another failed legacy carrier uh, that's that's certainly going to open the way for more of the uh, new world airlines to uh, perhaps start operating up into that part of the Asia market and uh, Jetstar looks like it's positioning itself well by linking up with AirAsia in this regard. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes but you know, probably the budget model is the way JAL is going to have to look at going to uh, pull itself out of uh, the problem it finds itself in now so yep. uh, interesting times mate, interesting times. We As, as we come out of this this economic uh, slump that we've had the last year, year and a half or so, it's it's really interesting to sit back and watch the way the way some of the uh, more traditional business models are, are sort of going by the wayside and these, these new world sort of approach are coming in. That's definitely the case. Uh, the world is a changing place and we're definitely seeing shifts in how people operate. But uh, I can tell you one very immediate direct impact of this joint venture is the spin it's having on uh, Tiger's IPO. Uh, as we've discussed a f- couple of times, Tiger is uh, launching their, their IPO. In fact, uh, they launched it today, Wednesday, the uh, 13th of January. They had originally been going for half a billion Singapore dollars, but yeah, the latest is that they're only going for about 250 million. Apparently, this JV is putting a little pressure on uh, on how well that's going to go, but it's only just been released today, so we'll have more news on that in the next episode. And while Grant very quickly reorganises our planning page, seeing as I perhaps just picked that topic out of the original order we <laughs> planned on. Just a tad. Let's just continue on with Jetstar, and in this case, uh, Jetstar Pacific. Uh, Grant, a uh, couple of their uh, high-ranking executives have been detained in Vietnam, and it looks like they're uh, basically being caught up in a bit of a political storm over there. Jetstar Pacific lost about $33 million in fuel hedging scheme, and the uh, two senior Australian employees that are in there, uh, Jetstar, the Qantas Group, own about 30% of Jetstar Pacific in Vietnam. They haven't actually been detained. They're still free to come and go within their uh, offices and houses and things like that. They just can't leave Vietnam until the investigation has completed. And it looks like it's going to go for a few more months here. So it caused some problems because uh, both people in question were wanting to come back to Australia for their um, vacation to see their family. Uh, Chief Operating Officer Daniela Marsili, who is from Adelaide and is married with a three-year-old daughter, and Chief Financial Officer Tristan Freeman, who is from Sydney and married with two daughters. They were both wanting to come home for their their Christmas holidays and to be with family, as uh, many Western people want to around Christmas. However, they were prevented from leaving Vietnam due to the investigation. So, yeah, it's it's not that they've been thrown in jail, but uh, while the Vietnamese government goes through and does its uh, examination of what went wrong and why the money was lost and so on, they uh, they can't leave. It's like they got off pretty lightly, mate. Uh, the former chief executive of Jetstar Pacific, uh, and my apologies in advance, Luong Hai Nam, was arrested in Hanoi in connection with the $34 million loss on fuel hedges. So, yeah, not, not so good for him. He's in jail. Yeah, no, they, they, they do take it seriously. This does happen in Vietnam when uh, government agencies and organisations and even ex-government organisations as Jetstar Pacific is. The Vietnam owns about 70%. Uh, it's jointly owned by Qantas and the Vietnamese government. So uh, it's still sort of a government organisation. And when the Vietnamese government loses money, they do a, a big analysis and things. So I think there's probably a little bit of um, cover your butt going on and point the finger elsewhere and so on within the government departments and they're all being caught up in it. As as some folks have said, what's $30 million? And 
fuel hedging. Gee, most airlines have lost that at least, <laughs> often more in the last few years with their fuel hedges. So we'll see how this one runs out, but all indications are that Qantas is doing what they can to help out. The uh, Australian Foreign Affairs and Trade are doing what they can as well, and um, through the embassy, and so far everything's going reasonably well. Yeah, the, probably the last word there should be left to Alan Joyce, the head of the Jetstar Group, of which Qantas is a member. Mr Joyce says here that the business is on the right trajectory. He says we have the utmost confidence in the business, and and uh, he also uh, says here that the business was turning around even before Mr. Nam left. Uh, he didn't think that the alliance between uh, the Qantas budget airline Jetstar and Malaysia's Air Asia would have any impact on the Vietnamese investigation. We've covered this this issue before. There has been a little bit of friction around the idea of having the uh, Vietnamese airline wearing Jetstar colours. A lot of people in the uh, Vietnamese aviation game that are not all that impressed by that idea. Yeah, there, well, there was the uh, aspect that now, for many people who don't know the exact details, they look at it and go, oh, Jetstar, Australia. Oh, it's an Australian aircraft and airline. And they don't think that actually it's only 30% or so owned by Australia. So uh, there was that concern that because of the uh, Jetstar logo on the tail and uh, the word Jetstar all over the aircraft that people might actually think it was an Australian aircraft, Australian company, etc. Well, of course, uh, that is all part of the uh, the Qantas group, really, in all seriousness. Let's hope they're not trying to book their tickets through the Qantas uh, Amadeus computer system because, uh, mate, and this just sounds like a broken record, we seem to be reporting on these every week. The MS Amadeus system has had yet another crash. Yes, that's correct. It uh, was was uh, worldwide glitch. Uh, it wasn't just Qantas group that had problems. It was a number of other ones. It was interesting, though, that uh, Qantas use Amadeus, but Jetstar use uh, use a different system. So for once, the Jetstar queue was running faster than the Qantas queue. And um, unfortunately, Qantas couldn't use the Jetstar system to uh, process their own customers because uh, the two are not compatible. Oops. Oops. There seems to be a lot of oopsing going around lately with, uh, with this. Yeah, a lot of people are starting to realize that uh, there's been a lot of hype selling and uh, IT systems that may have been over-promised and under-delivered, which is reasonably common with a lot of large IT systems when, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, where you get the the whole scenario of the senior executives having to report to the shareholders, having to make things look good to get their bonuses and so on. So so you get systems that are oversold and under-delivered and you, you wind up with a situation like uh, Air New Zealand had recently with the complete outage of their system in New Zealand. Qantas has had Armad- Amadeus, which is usually a very reliable system, has gone out twice now. The backlog, once these systems go out, it can take 24 to 48 hours for everything to get back to smooth running. It's, it's quite a major impact. You've got uh, an interesting article from Ben Sanderlands about about this. He's <laughs> quite uh, getting up in arms about uh, IT and uh, the systems not uh, not working very well. It's an interesting article that he's written there for his blog on Crikey, the Plain Talking blog. Well, of course, as most of you know, I work in public transport down here in Melbourne. And uh, if you'd like any, a really good example of just exactly what Grant's just talking about there, just uh, have a look at the MyKey ticketing system debacle down here, and I think that's probably the most perfect illustration. Uh, <laughs> those of you listening who live here in Melbourne would know exactly what I'm talking about. That's an absolute debacle, and it's the same sort of thing. You know, the, it's it's been sold to the government uh, on, on just that premise. It's been oversold, really, and it can't mm-hmm. deliver, and uh, it's, it sounds like that's uh, the same sort of principle at play here. Uh, well, especially with a large organisation where... Uh, you can wind up with a good initial concept and uh, initial plan and then you get more and more things loaded onto it and people start shifting it to make it better for their 
little empire to feather their nest, to backstab the person that they don't really like. Uh, and all these, the internal politics of many large corporations starts to come into it. And uh, having managed projects in large organizations, it can be a nightmare trying to keep everyone uh, from eating the ship, as the joke goes, as a project manager in many IT projects, you're, you're not, you don't set the direction, you don't tell them how to sail the ship, you don't tell them what to do, where they're going, anything like that. You just make sure they don't eat the ship on the during the voyage. Anyway, so uh, we'll leave that subject there for now, Grant. And uh, gee whiz, mate, I tell you, with the way Qantas has been going lately with with that Amadeus system they're using, I'm sure it won't be too many episodes from now before we're saying it again. We will just uh, <laughs> replay this bit in there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're going to move on now to our interview uh, with. Uh, Shashank Nigam from the uh, Simply Flying blog. Now, Grant, we recorded this uh, during the week between Christmas and New Year's. Yep. Uh, poor old Shashank was just about to sit down and have a bite to eat for his lunch, but uh, rather foolishly also logged on to Skype at the same time, and Grant and I just happened to be chatting away and said, hey, there he is, let's grab him. And then he said yes. <laughs> we said, yeah, mate, I'll only be here for five minutes, so uh, I think we managed to grab him for about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so we got about 20 minutes usable out of that after you took all our uh, stuffing around and joking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a great chat with Shashank about uh, what's been happening and uh, what's coming up in the uh, world of branding and uh, airlines. Okay, folks, well, it's been quite a few months since we last caught up with our next guest. It's Shashank Nigam from simplyflying.com, and he joins us on the line now from Singapore. G'day, Shashank, how are you going? Hey, Steve, hey, Grant. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Very yeah, well, not mate. too foul, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's a humid Christmas, isn't it? Well, it is for you. It's it's a little dry down here today, but actually uh, Christmas Eve here was quite humid down here in Victoria, that's for sure. Yeah, the last last few days out on the launch field have been kind of humid and sticky in the morning. It's uh, Yeah, I, I don't like humidity. I prefer dry heat. Yeah, I, but I would rather have humidity than wind at the launch field. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that kept you on the ground last time, didn't it? Sorry. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess you're preferring the heat and the humidity to where you've been lately. Yes, I, I've been traveling quite a bit data full around the world. Uh, I was in Toronto about two weeks ago where it was minus 17 degrees Celsius with the wind chill. So Ow. I'd rather have the... Humidity, and this was before the storms hit the U.S. East Coast. And then I was in Athens at the IATA Commercial Strategy Symposium, where I not only led a packed house of workshop, a full-day workshop on social media for airline executives, I was also the chairman of the e-marketing track at um, at the symposium, which went very well. Cool, excellent. Yeah, okay. the mood was certainly more positive than it has been in the previous conferences that I've attended. Oh, that's definitely a good thing. Yep. Speaking of mood being positive and uh, things possibly having a bit of a spin upwards, despite a few trouser bombs going off recently, the, the indications are that things are picking up in the in the world. People are start, appear to be starting to fly a little bit more often <coughs> and things like that. So. Uh, how about we have a bit of a chat on what you see, what your predictions are for 2010 for um, for the Asia-Pacific region? Sure. I mean, I certainly do see loads, load factors going back up again. I mean, Singapore Airlines has restarted their nonstop business class flight to New York, which has been, which had gone, I think, four times a week. Now it's back to daily. Okay. And I think Qantas is launching some routes or transferring some to Jetstar as they keep doing. Um, v Australia, I think, is doing lo- good load factors. 
years. So load factors certainly seem to be going up, but I think what they got to be careful about is yields, yeah. whether they can actually make money on these flights, because the other parallel trend that's growing is these legacies fighting against the low-cost carriers, which I think is a loosely defined term <laughs> when it comes to Pacific. <laughs> you have Virgin Blue, which is a new age carrier, and you have AirAsia X, which is a low-cost long-haul carrier, and you're twisting and turning the true definition of Ryanair or Southwest type of low-cost in every single direction. So I think it's it's going to be quite a fascinating fight, especially down under. I mean, in Melbourne, you've got everyone from Virgin Blue and AirAsia X to the Singapore Airlines A380 coming down. And I think even Qatar just started uh, flights there, isn't it? Yes, Qatar yeah. has just started flying in. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, they uh, started their services down here. So, uh, yeah, that's that's good. It's good to see some uh, some different aircraft in the skies. Oh, yes. <laughs> Steve, ever the train spot, the plane spotter. Yeah, Sorry. Don't, don't give me a train spotter. <laughs> Some of my mates will hear this if you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, it is it is getting interesting. Virgin do like to call themselves a new world carrier, and exactly. point out that they're no longer a, a um, discount, which is true. Uh, we were just chatting with some folks about that the other day, and and how Virgin is offering points and lounge and so on, but it's uh, the lounge, the food. The in-flight entertainment is all pay to get it unless you're a super frequent flyer and then they start complimenting, giving you complimentary, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so it's, 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 it's very interesting because you, you mentioned Virgin bringing the new world carrier and, and I see the definition of legacy carriers changing because yeah. I know that American Airlines in Chicago in their medallion lounge or whichever lounge they've got for their frequent flyers, only the drinks are free, like Coke or some soda is free. Everything else you have to pay for. Wow. Even if you're, that means you're already flying business, you're already you know, good high flyer with them and when you enter the lounge, you got to pay for food and even alcohol or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is not so much the changing of a um, legacy carrier. I think this is the death of a legacy carrier. <laughs> I, I really think the United is going to have problems, especially on the Pacific route with Delta V inching closer and closer to reality. Qantas doing all it can to stay on the route. But we were just chatting the other day. We'll know that Qantas has really taken the next major step when you see an A380 in Jetstar colors flying to between uh, Sydney and LA. Really? Do you, do you foresee that coming? No. Uh, I don't. I don't see it. I, th I think it's more likely Jetstar will be kicking in on that route with um, their 787s. Yeah, that's yeah. right. 787 might very well be the thing. Um, yeah. And I think that they just they just want to duplicate their successful Japan strategy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how they've how Qantas has increasingly scaled down their Japan operations, and Jetstar is probably leading all of it now. Oh yeah, there's the, I mean, Joyce has said he's not going to convert anything more to Jetstar, but there's nothing new Qantas. It's anything new is all Jetstar. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, I mean, I take it, yeah, you're, you're in agreement that's the trend that's going to keep going for these guys. Yeah, and I think um, legacies have to start thinking of themselves as competing not against other legacies. So Cathay doesn't just compete against Singapore Airlines or Emirates, but Cathay, for example, operates the newly minted Dubai-Mumbai route. Yeah. And Dubai-Mumbai route is like New York-London. It's so overly competitive. You've got from, uh, I think, Air Arabia, well, Dubai region. So Air Arabia does Mumbai Sharjah for peanuts. And then you've got Air India Express, which is the budget airline, um, budget setup of Air India. And then there's Air India, which is the cheapest among legacies. And then somewhere in the middle, you've got Jet Airways, which is offering top-class service and a good product, and but it's a narrow body. And then you've got the Cathay and Emirates flying in their 777s. That's a lot of available seats. Exactly. But the thing is, um, Hong Kong, Bangkok, Mumbai, Dubai yeah. had been one of 
Cathay's top five most profitable routes in yeah. the past. That's why they restarted it. But I think they're, they're facing a new challenge and like different new animals in these <laughs> yeah. airlines who are flying this route now. Shashank, you were talking uh, earlier about uh, load factors increasing. Uh, that's the general feeling that you're getting. What is happening with uh, business class and economy and premium economy? We've seen a bit of a shift away in the last 12 months to <clears> two <throat> years from business class towards premium economy. Yeah, I, I do see more and more folks going over to premium economy. I mean, if I'm flying, for example, on business and given a choice, if, say, Air New Zealand has both premium economy, Qantas has both premium economy, even ANA, I might prefer flying premium economy, especially on a long haul or something that's going to dramatically reduce the cost and not dramatically reduce the comfort. For example, for ANA, all Nippon Airlines, I mean, once they get the 787, it will be even better. But even right now, their premium economy meals are the same as business class. The product, for example, the headphones are all noise cancelling. They get lounge access. Everything is the same except the seat. So if you're willing to compromise on just the seat, it's not a flat bed, but it's a pretty good recline seat. You, I guess a lot of people would do that. And that's where I think airlines need to think innovatively. One of those which I think is doing a good job is Air New Zealand. I think they recently came up with a scheme where you could reserve in an economy class, you could reserve the seat next to you and ensure that it's empty for some additional money. Yep. And that is when the load factor is low. So I think people can sleep in a you know three 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 abreast or four abreast seating in in a seven four seven or triple seven. That'll be a bonus when you're my size. <laughs> well, that is that is one of the things they're doing. Is if if the aircraft is not packed at check-in, they they offer you the option for not a lot of extra money to uh, grab that seat. And I think that's pretty clever because you're going to have that seat empty otherwise. Uh, no one, you, know, you haven't got any last-minute people to pack on it. So, hey, why not offer someone the option of uh, getting a seat with a bit of extra space to, to spread out or, buy, as you're saying, Shishak, buy three and sleep? Exactly, and I would be keen to see what their results are like um, when, when they start reporting it, but I do see it working quite positively for them. Yeah, no, I'd definitely take them up on that. Just I, I just love having that extra space. Uh, I'm over six foot, so it's pretty hard for me to <laughs> get any space and economy. And look, the old rule of thumb used to be that if you're traveling and you're paying for it and you want the space and the service, go business. But if somebody else is paying for it, get first. That That's totally changed now. It's like, yeah, if you're doing it, you pay premium economy if you can afford it. Otherwise, you get them to pay business class. But with the bean counters the way they are, that that you've got to really fight to justify business class. But premium economy, oh, that's still economy. You're okay. Right. It's right. The, the interesting thing is you mentioned it's an old rule and the testament is is the first time I've heard that rule because okay. the rule that I'm used to is if they're paying fly business, if you are playing fly economy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's certainly gone a long way. And I do think... Uh, offerings like say for example AirAsia X offering right. an, a business class seat which is literally X Air Canada's yeah. business class seat with good in-flight entertainment and everything else minus the lounge minus the champagne minus the um, big food and lavishes mm. it costs less than the economy class of a Singapore Airlines or Cathay Pacific flight on the same route yeah and that's the the big thing I'm looking for is space and a bit of quiet. That's that's all I I need when I'm traveling. If that that's the, the lure for me to get to premium economy. So suddenly suddenly that Air Asia X seat is starting to look good. Right, right. And another trend I see happening, especially with the shoe no not the shoe bomber but the pajama bomber. <laughs> the the bomber. pants bomb. Pants bomber. All right, pants bomb uh, from Northwest two five three. One trend I do see 
going forth is, I'm not sure if you've taken a look at the TSA regulations that have come up since then, which requires padding down for every single customer. Mm -hmm. And instead of 10%, it's 100% padding down. And you've got to even open your laptop up, turn it on and show it to everyone. And everything has to be open before boarding the plane. And no walking or even opening the bin before one hour before landing in the US. So a lot of what I feel are knee-jerk reactions, but the thing is, they're not going to go away overnight, just like the liquid ban. One one trend I do foresee is airlines are going to struggle with trying to distinguish their own restrictions versus what's being imposed on them and the inconvenience caused to the passengers by the airline versus by the authorities. And if the airlines can distinguish it, then, for example, if I'm a frequent flyer, say with Singapore Airlines, if they know my history and everything, go through the um, TSA regulations and everything. And if they can give, if they can have me not take the pad down every time, maybe once in five times or maybe once in 10 times, if such premium services can come in, then I think it will be good for the airline brand one. And I guess the low cost carriers might even want to charge for them. For example, you have a swift line, you know, a fast lane yeah, through fast lane. The new security rules, or you can go to the loo <laughs> one hour before that, <laughs> and pay six dollars for it or something. Right, I don't see. I don't see the TSA allowing that. There was a crowd in the US that were trying to set that up, where you went and got all your IDs and everything, and it let you go through yeah, your own I think special it was line. Clear. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah they, 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 they collapsed. Yeah, yep. but you know, like the airline will want to sell that to give people a reason to fly with them and to trade up. But honestly, I don't. I don't see the TSA and the Americans allowing that to happen. They're, they've gone into full paranoia mode. The yeah. one little thing, it's a complete knee-jerk reaction. It's uh, the word is it's it's all going to be reviewed in 17 days. Well, you know, they've been saying that about the Washington Aiders for Yonks. That was only going to be temporary. Yeah, bulldust. That's now permanent. I, I hate to say it, but I really think the TSA is helping to do the terrorist work now. You know, one little incident, and they go. And run around like Chicken Little and instigate all these things that, you know, why would you go to America now? Well, of course, there's the other argument with the TSA is that uh, things like this help them to justify their existence. We hear uh, Dave Higdon over there on the uh, UCAP podcast all the time saying things, similar things, you know, that uh, yeah, they're just going overboard. And yeah. Right, right. And that that's the reaction. But I think airlines will have to increasingly play a special role when it comes to distinguishing the brand from the measures because yeah. you do not want an anxious passenger blaming you for everything. For example, when these FAA regulations came out, I was on airliners.net reading a reading a discussion and someone said, oh, this is what Finnair has received from FAA. And someone commented, oh, these Finnish, I'm not flying them again. <laughs> so uh, airlines got to be prepared for such reactions and mm-hmm. they got to clarify and ensure and explain that, listen, yeah. it's it's something that's being imposed on them. Well, I got to say, I'm seriously considering taking a boat to go to the US for Oshkosh because it's just getting ridiculous. <laughs> A boat from Melbourne to LA. <laughs> yeah, you know, kick back, relax, and enjoy the ride. You know, I will leave tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put myself in a container and off I go. <laughs> but yeah, there are there are a lot of people saying that these latest changes will do a lot for um, general aviation and business aviation and things like that because there'll be a lot of people who it, this will tip a lot more people over the edge of this is ridiculous. It will add extra time, things like that, and though, you know, suddenly it's it's better and more effective to go yourself rather than in the human mailing tubes. Right, right. Uh, but, that's what you call them. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the big winner, though, is going to be uh, telepresence, virtual presence via um, via phone conf- conference calls, video conference calls, things like that. Right. That's going to be the big winner out of all of this. Especially travel to the U.S. I mean, I, I can come to Melbourne tomorrow and I'll yep. be happy to. But right now, I'm do, I, I am thinking of you know postponing some non-essential trips to the U.S. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, any we'd love to go back to Hawaii. No, not going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's all sorts of things I'd love to do, but unless I'm going over for a, a very serious reason, I, I've got to say I've got absolutely no desire to go. There's much more places in the world to go to that aren't going to treat me like this when I go over. Right, right. Yeah. Europe, for example. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there's there's always been people out to get you, and yeah, you know, there's always been people out to cause problems with flying. Why is everything going so crazy now? You know, why right. why are we reacting? so badly now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting and see what that does to Asia Pacific. Australia said they will implement whatever America wants for trips to America, but they're not doing anything like that here in Australia. This, in yeah, fact, the, the latest... Well, the latest white paper is now allowing metal cutlery on board again and nail clippers and uh, files and all that kind of stuff. They're actually relaxing security here in Australia a bit. Right, right. And I do I do remember sometime back, Europe was going to ease the ban on liquids. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen now. Yeah. Down here, they're, they're saying that it is still going to go ahead. They're not going to just charge off and, and follow the American lead directly, but uh, they're going to consider everything. And I think that's the big thing that anyone needs to do in, in anything related to security and safety and so on is to do a proper root cause analysis and, and to do, you know, where is your money going? What is the impacts and what's the likelihood? I think someone was saying that uh, if you look at the last decade, you've got a 1 in 84 million chance of being involved in a terrorist act on an, on an aircraft. Wow. Okay. You know, so it's it's really high. Moving back to the Asia-Pacific region, uh, Shashank, we've uh, seen the first flight recently of the 787. Uh, yep. What's the buzz up in your region of the world uh, regarding that airliner in the uh, pending <laughs> Not so much because <laughs> um, initially when it's getting introduced, it's going to be domestic Japan. Mm. is hardly flying it international when it first gets it. And subsequently, I do not know how much delayed the deliveries are going to be. But most of the... I mean, I think the biggest order they have in Asia-Pacific is Air India, which <laughs> which isn't a major player anyway. Singapore Airlines has a few Qantas. As, Qantas has quite a bit, I think. So yeah. do, do you see Qantas uh, banking on it in a big way? For Jetstar, yes, definitely. Right, for Jetstar. I think the uh, yeah the first the first batch of those aircraft, when they finally arrive here, they're all coming in Jetstar colours, aren't they, Grant? Yeah, right. I believe so. When is that arriving? Qantas have got uh, the first of their lot coming in in 2010, and Air New Zealand's not far behind them in 2011. So I'd say that means 2011 and 2012, realistically, right. based on current I think schedule. I think still some time. I think others will be observing how ANA deployed, how they use it, what lessons are being learned from there, and yeah. then taking their stride. And the other big story that we've been covering uh, from from your region of the world, I guess, it's uh, to do with the Singapore uh, stock exchange. Is the uh, the Tiger IPO? Uh, what can you tell mm-hmm. us about that? I think if you look back when Tiger started, they wanted a very workable airline model, so they picked the Ryanair type of model as opposed to experimenting with a new world airline. And it's a pretty safe and sound bet. And even though there is yes, there is AirAsia, there is Jetstar Asia, there are other budget airlines they're competing against. I think it's been doing a pretty good job of slow and steady growth as opposed to explosive growth like say AirAsia and depending on when it when it goes uh, public I think it it will generate a certain amount of interest having said that you have to realize that from 35,000 feet level SGX or the Singapore exchange is not the biggest or the most active or the most attractive in this region so yes it may get them some cash I don't know what they're going to do with it um, <laughs> but, but it will be it will be interesting ultimately as Branson said, right, once, um, that 
if you want a billionaire to become a millionaire, go start an airline. <laughs> Similarly, that's been the stocks uh, following too. So I think it's going to be good for the owners. And yeah. I'm not so sure how much for the public. <laughs> They're apparently going to use the money to buy some new aircraft or pay for their committed aircraft right. and also cover the uh, $50, billion, oh no, $50 million loss that they've had with um, Tiger Airways in Australia. Ah, uh, there you go. That, yeah. that, how's, how's Tiger Airways doing in Australia? Well, like I said, they've just had a rather large loss, $50 million, And in fact, Singapore Airlines have stopped writing down their uh, their investment in Tiger because uh, it's exceeded everything that they put. That they've lost more than they put in. Um, oh, but, not good. Uh, yeah, they. Um, so Tiger's been having some problems. They're trying to move away a little from the Ryanair model. They're trying to care for their customers. You know, they, they were originally, yes, you know, whatever your problem, but um, now they're actually trying to look after their customers when things go wrong and think and stuff like that. But uh, the, they were originally Tiger Airways when they were looking at the float. Over there, they were looking at 500 million Singaporean dollars, and now they're down to around 200 to 250. Mm-hmm. Um, they reckon that if they can't get more than 220, they may actually back it out and not wow. do it. That's not that's not a big IPO at all. No, mm. not huge. How does, interesting, um, and, and it's interesting to see to hear Tiger humanizing operations. So I want to I want to observe how that pans out in 2010. Well, I think that would be a there can only be a positive thing if they do that. Their obvious links to Singapore Airlines now uh, branding is, is is your speciality, Shashank. Does the Tiger Airways brand have any sort of detrimental effect on the Singapore Airlines brand, or are they just seen as standalone carriers? No, I think they've done a very good job of just disconnecting the two brands. For example, you if you look at the spectrum, right? There's Singapore Airlines, which is the highest and premium airline. There's Silk Air, which is the regional carrier, and it even code shares some of SQ's flights. So if you might be flying in from LA to Phuket, you might come into Singapore and then uh, transit onto a Silk Air flight or to Bali. It might also be a Silk Air flight, but they do not do any sort of code shares or any link-ups or tie-ups, even schedule coordination with Tiger Airways. So I think all they've done is just an investment vehicle, which is in the form of Singapore Airlines, and that's about it. So there's no brand correlation. There's no operational correlation. It's a separate segment which SQ wanted to get their hands in without using their wide bodies for low-cost operations. Yes, it's probably just as well for them that they uh, they keep it that way because um, Tiger Airways doesn't enjoy the best reputation most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Down Under, I hear. Not with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they... The they, is, they, they run very high load factors on the routes they are operating on. And, I mean, they compete with Singapore Airlines on some routes. For example, Singapore-Bangalore, there's SQ that flies there and there's Tiger Airways that flies there. And Tiger Airways regularly does over 95% load factors. I don't know about the yield again, but they fly a lot of people on that route and compete head-on with SQ. Down here, uh, they run the aircraft pretty packed. They are flying a lot of legs, uh, but they don't have a lot of aircraft. They've only got seven or eight airframes, um, A320s. And so they are pretty stretched. And that's something Steve's mentioned a number of times is they're doing a lot with not a lot of aircraft so when anything goes wrong it throws up their whole service schedule right now do you feel do you feel that tiger's success is dependent heavily on their leadership for example shelly roberts down in australia or tony davis who is ex bmi baby here because mm-hmm. i learned from some of the bmi folks i met up in uh, london earlier this year that you know he he just happened to be the bmi in the person in charge of bmi and then he got over to tiger yeah not sure i hadn't really heard too much about these people beforehand but they do have an aviation background so right uh, the one one thing that they're doing now like grant said before is at least they are starting to take a little bit of notice of their passengers when they're inconvenienced so maybe that's a bit of shelly roberts uh, influence 
Uh, okay. And if, and if that's the case, that's a good thing. Uh, when they first that's came, certainly good. When they first came here, with, uh, as Grant calls them, they, you know, it was basically the the bus lines of the sky. You know, <laughs> we cancel your flight too bad. You know, the sort of thing. So uh, it sounds like now we've been hearing with some recent cancellations that they've had that uh, at least they've been good enough to give people some compensation and, like you say, humanise the operation a little. So right, right. That I think will certainly help them. Indeed. And Shashank, uh, any plans to uh, head down under again this uh, in the upcoming? Uh, year 2010 yes anytime the weather's good for the balloon to take flight i'm coming down to melbourne and flying the thing with you guys you better hop in a plane tomorrow then (laughs) (laughs) yeah i may have to i'll try and give you more than uh, 6 p.m the night before notification mate (laughs) great okay shashank nigam it's been uh, great catching up with you Uh, we appreciate you coming on with us at uh, very short notice we just saw you pop up on skype we said hey let's grab him now always a pleasure steve and grant speaking with you and i look forward to seeing you soon and we'll talk to you again uh in the very near future cool thanks mate Hello, this is ex-cosmonaut Ivan Astibatic from JuniorFlyer.com. Do sometimes you have an itch you just cannot scratch? I know I do. I suggest you listen to those crazy guys from Plain Crazy Down Under. It's not a cure, but it will help distract you. Das Vidania. Hi, this is Matt Hall, Red Bull Aero Part number 95. So you're listening to Plain Crazy Down Under. Here at Plain Crazy Down Under, we rely on the generous support of our listening audience. If you like what we do, if you enjoy our weekly attempts at infotainment, then please visit www.plaincrazydownunder.com and click on the button marked Donate. Donations of any size are very much appreciated. Thanks, folks. Okay, Grant, now just a little bit of a comment here. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm just so glad that in Australia, at least for now, we don't have any such thing as the TSA. I mean, what's going on with those people? I don't know, man, but I'm pretty scared of the TSA, not because I'm going to the US, because there's not much chance of that, the way my income is going, but uh, rather because I'm really scared of the TSA because our lunatic politicians might actually follow the American lunatic politicians and introduce the same bunch of uncontrolled loonies. And, of course, I guess what we're leading to here is the uh, December 30 uh, subpoenas, I guess. Is that what they called? That was served upon uh, Chris Elliott and Stephen Frischling, who are uh, quite well-known aviation bloggers over in the United States, over a, uh, a document which they allege was a sensitive document, except, of course, they sent it out to 10,000 people, an estimated 10,000 people. So I just... <laughs> I just don't know where they're going. They, they've subpoenaed this guy. They uh, they, burst, they basically uh, knocked on his door, burst their way in. They've uh, taken his laptop and uh, many other documents and are trying to find out where on earth he was uh, given this information from. It just seems a little bit odd to me. If you're going to send it out to 10,000 people, it's going to get out in the wild. If they wanted to keep it under wraps, then... You know, I would suggest they don't uh, circulate it so widely. Well, this is the same department that uh, put a so-called redacted copy of uh, their their procedures document on the internet, except uh, some smart person who probably now either has no job or has learnt better, uh, only used electronic um, redaction, didn't use real redaction. So you could just copy and paste the text under the blacked out area. And lo and behold, paste into another document, there all the text images and everything were. So, yeah, clearly the TS have got bigger problems to deal with, let alone the fact that they uh, totally missed the fact that uh, there was a, 
a person from a questionable country traveling with no luggage and paying cash on his own. These things on their own are classic giveaways of, of a problem, potential problem person. And the fact that his father had already dobbed him in uh, as a potential problem and they still missed him. Obviously, the TSA has got big problems internally. But hey, they're still doing the nice theater stuff. I think it's very well called security theater. We do have some of that over here where they're, they're warning you, they're checking. It's not as bad as the TSA in the US uh, in terms of getting in your way and slowing things down as much, but uh, especially not at the moment compared to what's going on over there at the moment. But it's all theater. You've got all this stuff happening as people walk through and then you've got uh, wide open areas in the back. I'm remembering uh, some articles in the near recent past, a year or so or two ago, about uh, Chicago and how uh, there was gates that anyone could sneak through if they knew what to do. Um, Cars were coming in and not being checked. Vans, things like that. They could have been carrying anything. Plus, uh, companies that were supplying staff for cleaning and uh, servicing aircraft, it was found out were using uh, known crooks and uh, illegal immigrants. So all this stuff, you know, inconveniences, the people taking their shoes off, shutting down entire airports for the night because of one little stuff up, all this kind of thing. And yet you've got these huge flaws in the back. It's it's a complete disaster. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the TSA is a complete waste of time. They're not doing anything worthwhile. It's theater. It, all it's doing is trying to make people feel better appear to be doing something, allowing some politicians to have knee-jerk reactions that make it look like they care about security, when if you think it through and look at it with any shred of intelligence, it's not doing anything worthwhile. And the really sad thing is it's making the United States a really unfriendly place to go from, you know, for people who want to travel there. Although I don't I don't consider that I had any issue with the TSA procedures when I was over there last year uh, in the wake of the uh, failed bombing attempt of the Northwest flight. And I think it, one of the uh, things just on that, that that seems to have not be getting through here in the media is that that person didn't board the plane in the United States. He boarded the plane in Amsterdam. Uh, that was after he got on out of Africa. So there you go. So the TSA doesn't really have a lot of control over that aspect of it. Perhaps what they should be doing is instead trying to improve the security levels outside the United States, you know, in, in increasing requirements perhaps, and I'm sure they've probably done that anyway, for any aircraft, you know, security screening procedures for any aircraft that's uh, wanting to um, uh, deplane passengers in the United States who are taking people on from outside. Since that failed bombing attempt, they've just gone nuts. Well, we've, we've had the situation where an A380 traveling from Melbourne to LA had a mechanical defect. They kept everyone on the plane for five hours because they, uh, they thought it was going to be an easier fix than it turned out to be. And the effort involved of deplaning everyone, getting their luggage off and re-screening them to go back on the plane because of the special checking uh, required by the USA made it not worthwhile. Uh, eventually, they declared, decided that the aircraft wasn't really going anywhere for a long time, so they took everyone off and put them in hotels and put them right through it the next day. But uh, at least Qantas uh, maintained the aircraft's uh, air quality and got new catering on and things like that to keep everyone occupied while they were aboard. But uh, yeah, it's, it's this kind of insanity that's destroying the fundamental way of life that... Um, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing with the U.S. is, you know, the land of the free, the home of the brave. And frankly, to an outsider here, I'm really scared because I'm seeing that crumbling. I'm seeing it being destroyed from within by people who are using save the children, save the country, protect from terrorism as an excuse to further their own purposes and their own needs. And, yeah, I'm really sad and I'm really scared, actually. And, and that's, I mean, you know, listening to the Mile High Flyers and they couldn't even say they'd been on a simulator. 
later. They weren't even allowed to say what they'd been doing because they were a bit concerned that they might get ch- talked to. And you know, people are starting to run around scared over there. And you know, why? It's why a, is this happening? I mean, you hear it said around the place. In, in, in this regard, the terrorists are winning. You know, mm. they're causing this sort of paranoia. And you know, your average American, and we talk to a lot of them every week, particularly since we started doing this podcast. Your average American on the street is not happy about this either. So, you know, we we really encourage our American listeners, for what it's worth, from this side of the planet, to uh, you know really push your elected representatives to to try and stop this insanity now. Mm-hmm. We don't know either of these two bloggers. Steve Frischling uh, has appeared previously on the Airplane Geeks podcast and his blog is flyingwithfish.com. This uh, has been affecting him a little bit uh, in terms of his earnings and he is looking for some donations. Um, I've given him a personal donation, just sent him a little bit of money and I'd encourage um, all of our listeners to uh, get across and support him. Uh, Definitely. He wasn't doing anything wrong and he deserves to be supported in this regard. Uh, Chris Elliott appears on this week's edition of the Airplane Geeks podcast. That's episode number 80, so get across and have a listen to what he has to say on that one and um yeah let's let's support these guys this is out of control now the transport security administration they've come out with a public service announcement which they've been playing on the local media we should play this and perhaps it will set everybody's mind at ease we're the transportation security administration we're working hard to ensure that you enjoy a secure flight And while we cannot apprehend every terrorist, you can count on us to do what we are trained to do whenever there's a security breach. Overreact to tiny threats. When a man walked the wrong way through a gate at Newark Airport, we closed the terminal for six hours. When a passenger in Bakersfield, California packed honey in his luggage, we shut the whole airport down. And when a toddler in New Orleans tried to take a Christmas present on board, we confiscated it. Sorry, Junior. We're not taking any chances. No threat is too big for us to ignore, and no threat is too small for us to make your travel experience as miserable as possible. Overreact to small threats. Ignore the big ones. That's what we do, and we do it better than anyone. (laughs) There you go. Now, we're not really sure of the origin of that one, but uh, we actually took that one from episode 164 of No Agenda. Well, I did, because Grant wouldn't be caught dead listening to No Agenda, but I do, so... It's not a podcast that makes my list, but uh, yeah, fortunately, one of us listens and hears these good snippets, so it's going around the net. If we can ever find out who to attribute it to, uh, we'll be sure not to say so that the TSA doesn't knock on their door and go, ah, your papers are not in order, yeah? Yeah, well, we're confident that they don't listen to this podcast and we won't have any trouble getting in if we can make it across to Oshkosh. Mate, the way my finances are going at the moment, there's no chance I'm, I'm even doubting I'll get to Perth, let alone get to Oshkosh, so uh, yeah. But hey, you know... I know, sorry, Uh, the changing world. But uh, yeah, look, come on, guys, let's get some uh, constraint and control put on this group. It has no oversight, it has no control. It's out there, this whole large aircraft security program. It's really making things look like a joke over there, guys. And frankly, you don't deserve it. The United States deserves better than the TSA, and I think it's time for the American people to make use of their legal and justified methods of telling their elected politicians what they think. Get out there, get off your butts, tell them, because right now to us outside the USA, it's starting to look like you're turning into the way of life that you actually fought against back in the 60s. That's that's a concern from the outside. Come on, guys. Start writing, start calling. Remind your politicians that they serve the people, not the other way around. We had to run to the runway we were 
heading down where I went a long way down, and then the takeoff was aborted. We started driving back, and they said they had a problem with the uh, fuel system or something of that nature, where they weren't sure how much fuel they had on board, and that they uh, were not comfortable flying in that manner. Uh, and we, we've sadly trying to rectify that problem since then. And then uh, just after 5 p.m. today, we were advised that they won't be going, even if they could rectify the problem, because of the over time by the crew, they uh, can't go beyond a certain period. Yeah, it was a little bit disconcerting, I guess, that we were delayed even before we got out there because of the mechanical issues. So it was just a, a series of all, a litany of, of issues. Now, that's a uh, an, an interview that was heard on Melbourne's Radio 3AW, and it concerns the uh, the A380 being delayed in Melbourne that uh, you were just talking about there in the, uh, the little bit we just did there on the TSA, mate. Uh, I don't know, Grant, did did you feel that the world stopped turning that day or the, the world had come to an end? Uh, the, way the, the way that was reported in the local media here was uh, no on hysterical. Quiet news day, I guess. They're looking for any excuse. Oh, my God, people being stuck on the tarmac. Whoa, you know, hey, and... They're, they're looking for any excuse for the A380 and Qantas at the moment. Uh, given uh, earlier last year and the year before, Qantas having their mechanical issues, uh, they were the big uh, whipping boy for uh, aircraft maintenance. And uh, the A380's had its fair share of hassles as part of its introduction. So, yeah, com- combine all that with a quiet news day and a bit of sensationalism about aircraft and away we go. Yeah, now speaking of sensationalism, I just wanted to mention uh, my anti-media rant of the week, Grant. My anti-media rant of the week. <laughs> And we're going to aim it this week at Channel 7 News. I caught a bit of a video clip of theirs on uh, Yahoo on the Yahoo 7 website as I was uh, surfing some emails the other day. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't didn't have the opportunity right right at that moment to uh, record the audio. But basically, it shows the news report where they they uh, covered this story about the the A380 having to return to the uh, terminal at Melbourne and all the passengers being delayed for 24 hours. Which yes. It's not a good thing, but, you know, safety first, and so they had to sort those problems out. And, uh, yes, it's unfortunate that they the passengers had to spend the night in Melbourne in hotels, in accommodation paid for by Qantas. Hello, Tiger Airways, are you listening? <laughs> However, Channel 7, they report this by crossing to their reporter who's live in the Channel 7 chopper. And uh, the really funny thing was he was trying to make out that they were uh, over overhead Melbourne Airport reporting on all this stuff. But if you looked in the background, it was pretty clear they weren't. They were somewhere out, out near the bay. Then they were crossing to uh, what what could only be described as stock footage of uh, a Qantas A380 sitting uh, at the terminal with the air bridges connected. So uh, pretty amateurish stuff. Uh, Channel 7, they, they do tend to take this this sort of sensationalist approach to a lot of their news reporting. I don't like the style that they used to to cover their stories, and it's probably the reason I don't watch their news service very much. I just thought that was crazy. So, yeah, there's my anti-media rant of the week, Grant. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's just Channel 7 being upset that we don't have O.J. Simpson living over here. They, they really miss out on not being able to run their helicopter down the expressway, filming the car, you know. It's like, <sighs> well, let's take footage of a beached whale. I mean, a A380. Look, it's not going anywhere. A380, not going anywhere. Oh. Yeah, I guess and I, I think uh, later on that day, they actually had one stranded over at LAX, so probably balanced out the uh, aircraft out of position problems they had. <laughs> well, there you out. go. They, they do call it the whale jet for a reason, you know. <laughs> stranded, <laughs> beached. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> like Grant says, it is early days for the A380, and uh, you know, like, like any other aircraft type, they are going to have their problems from time to time. The question then becomes, uh, how do they uh, look after their passengers in the meantime? So for it to be taking what I think was probably the close on, it wasn't the lead news item on, on some of these news services that night, but uh, yeah, it must have just been a really, really slow news day because, uh, mm. well, the way they went on, you'd think the world was coming to an end. <laughs> I think the, uh, the good part out of that was, uh, despite it being a tarmac stranding, Qantas kept the catering going, kept everyone occupied, and uh, then when it was quite clear that it wasn't going to work, 
cancel the flight, put everyone in hotels. Uh, well done, Qantas, for that, and also for showing what's supposed to happen with a tarmac stranding. Keep the catering going, keep the air nice and clean, keep the toilets clean. Yep, that's right. Anyway, now that we've managed to upset, uh, you know, the mainstream media a little, if any of them listen, I think we've picked on Channel 7 uh, a couple of times lately, Grant, so maybe we should focus on some other news organisations next week. So uh, maybe we ought to uh, start wrapping things up for this week, Grant, but, uh, oh, hang on a minute, there's somebody coming. Oh, sounds like the postman. Sounds like the postman, unbelievable. And as we're recording this, it's one o'clock in the morning. Do these posties never sleep, Grant? Oh, not postman Pat. Hmm, such dedication, maybe he's lost. Ah, it could be. Hmm. A couple of uh, listener emails that uh, printed out just to uh, have a bit of a chat about this week, Grant. And the first one uh, comes from uh, our friend Jack Seymour up there in uh, Wangaratta in uh, northern Victoria. And it's actually a reply here to an email I sent him. And the reason I sent him an email in the first place is because Jack is very resourceful and managed to uh, find my Skype ID and uh, requested uh, to be added to my uh, list of Skype contacts, which is uh, fine with me. But I uh, did send Jack an email saying that uh, you do, of course, realise now that that uh, makes you a raving reporter for playing crazy down under <laughs> and i just thought uh, the reason i'd mention that to him was and of course uh, jack is uh, still a young fella so uh, of course with the appropriate permission from his parents we'd love to have him do a report uh, jack is about to go up flying in a eurofox aircraft grant so uh, pretty exciting stuff for him that's right the eurofox is uh, flying under the ra oz banner the recreational aviation of australia uh, similar to the light sport aviation in the u.s uh, it's a uh, small high wing tricycle gear aircraft quite a nice little plane to fly and uh yeah good on you jack go have a great flight absolutely mate and uh, yeah if you have time if you're able to um, record some cockpit audio or, or file a report for us you can even send us an email and uh one of us will read it out probably grant because he reads things just a little bit better than i do <laughs> but uh, well one good part about uh jack's foray into aviation is he's decided to start a blog about it and uh you can find that at uh, studentflight.wordpress.com that's studentflight.wordpress.com it's early days yet he's only got a single entry but he's started to collect some comments and uh yeah good on you jack we're looking forward to reading about your uh learning to fly now the uh the other email we wanted to mention this week was from mark and we won't mention mark's name he wasn't too keen for us to uh to mention his last name in <laughs> In case, in case he didn't have his facts completely right, but uh, let me reassure you, Mike, it never stops us. No, 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 no. Who lets the facts get in the way of a good story? Yeah. You can tell we're trying to be journalists, can't you? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, uh, yeah, Grant, he's been talking about just offering some advice on uh, our comments about the GPS system and uh, what would you say, some astronomical events? The concept of a coronal mass ejection, which is a way of saying a very large solar flare, uh, that when you get a, a big solar flare hitting the um, atmosphere of the Earth, the ionosphere and so on, it hits the Van Allen radiation belts and uh, creates, well, it's basically solar radiation that helps create the uh, aurora borealis and australis at the uh, north and south pole respectively. But when you get a massive set of solar flares and especially a coronal mass ejection, uh, you wind up getting massive disruptions of uh, ele electrical systems and communications on the ground. In fact, he points to uh, a classic case back around the time of the 70s, we think it was, where the Canadian power grid got knocked out at the time of a very large flare. Now, of course, these happen on the uh, sun side, the daylight side of the planet. So imagine you're tooling along in your little aircraft using your GPS for navigation and there's a, a massive solar storm and there you go, ionizing the um, ionosphere and you can't communicate with those satellites or even knocking the satellites out. 
how would you go then? That could cause some problems for people. Yeah, the interesting thing uh, here is uh, we're becoming more and more reliant on the GPS system, on GPS technology. Uh, you know, it's not only used in aviation, it's used in, in everything else outside of aviation, really, particularly those people who've uh, got them there. I mean, they're even coming built into people's cars now, aren't they? So it's, it's coming to a point now where, where we're starting to become just as uh, dependent on GPS as we are on the internet. And I mean, you know, my whole world falls apart if the internet goes offline. So... Uh, <laughs> And I'm sure most other people are the same these days, particularly if you're uh, tech-savvy enough to be downloading podcasts and stuff, then you probably know where I'm coming from there. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a similar situation if something, you know, and it's not something that's likely to happen every day of the week, but, you know, you, you never know what might happen. If, and if something happens to take a significant part of the GPS system offline, um, that's going to cause bigger and bigger problems as time goes on, I feel. The more you become enmeshed in it and the more you become dependent on it, the worse it is when it's not around, mm. definitely. And uh, so big thanks to Mark for... For, uh, sending that information to us. He was leery of putting it in the forums because uh, he doesn't think he knows enough about it to really comment on it. Uh, I disagree. I think he knows a little bit about it and enough to start things off. So I might actually take his comments here and uh, set up an entry in the forum uh, about this. He suggested we go and uh, speak to someone from the physics department of a university or people who know that. So uh, maybe we'll start looking for someone we can talk to about it. Yep. Excellent, folks. And of course, our email address is plancrazydownunder at gmail.com. So uh, we always love to get a bit of uh, listener mail each week. Indeed, indeed. And from listeners telling us stuff to us, shouting out and saying hi to people, it's time to wrap up and shout out. Yay! Yay, they're finishing. Yay, they're wrapping up. Oh, no, 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 that's right. Shout out, son. Yeah, there's our live studio simulated studio audience. (laughs) (laughs) PCDU was filmed before a simulated studio audience. Yeah, a couple of uh, aviation podcasts we wanted to uh, shout out to quickly before we finish up this week, mate. And, uh, of course, the first one is the, uh, the newest aviation podcast on the block, and that is the Mile High Flyers. That's right, the Mile High Flyers. It's not what you think. They're actually a bunch of pilots out of the Denver area flying in the uh, Rocky Mountains, so they can be mile high standing on the tarmac. But, uh, yeah, great uh, hangar flying and uh, interviews kind of uh, podcast. Uh, they've got three episodes out, and they've, they've been really good. I've enjoyed listening to them. Uh, yeah, now, Grant, you actually pointed me towards these guys, and uh, during the week I downloaded uh, all of their episodes uh, so far. And uh, episode one, entitled Getting to Know You, uh, a really good episode. Uh, they're all pre-recorded clips where uh, all the participants in the Mile High uh, Flyers, and we've got uh, Nate, Doug, Z, and Mike. I really wanted to uh, point this out, and uh, folks, if you haven't listened to the Mile High Flyers, definitely start at episode one because uh, it really speaks to, to a lot of us, I think. It certainly did to me, and uh, it's where all of the guys there are talking about their journey through aviation, and they're all remarkable, remarkably similar stories to each other and remarkably similar to my own, and, and basically it goes along the lines of got into flying with uh, great enthusiasm, uh, we're pushing through with, with, with uh, you know certain goals and uh, things change and uh, some decisions have to be made, and uh, you know which ended up in... Uh, having to walk away from aviation for a while. And now it's basically the story of them all coming back and getting their uh, getting their ratings up to speed. Um, it really, really spoke to me. It, it was really encouraging, really, and it just sort of makes you think, you know, gee, it's, it's not only me that this has happened to. It's, it's quite often, it's quite obviously a more common thing than, than you think, than you might think when you're wrapped up in your own thoughts. So, yeah, really cool, really great. And, um, you know, it sort of mirrors what I'm doing here. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, to get back into flying this year and, and, and really do a big push towards it. So if you've ever found yourself in that situation where you, where you did have to sort of walk away from the game for a while like I did, you'll certainly identify with the uh, stories of the guys on the Mile High Flyers. And, 
really encouraging to see that there's uh, more people like me trying to get back into the flying game. Of course, uh, Nate there, who goes by Denver Pilot Grant, uh, he's a part owner now of a Cessna 182, which makes me insanely jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm feeling pretty jealous of all of them because I'm right at the point now where I'm having to walk away from the aviation. I I thought this year was my year to get stuck back in and get my license sorted out, but unfortunately a few issues have come up that are getting in the way of me uh, having any money at all, let alone money for flying. So, uh, yeah, putting a bit of a hold on things. But, uh, hey, it's good I can live vicariously through other people's flying for the moment. Yeah, well, uh, we've always got the podcast, mate. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, podcast and blog and my excuse to go and hang with people involved with aviation. So I may not be flying. I may The closest I'm getting to it on a regular basis is crewing balloons. So that's still fun. But uh, yeah, see where we go on this one. Well, good luck with that, mate. Ah, she'll be right, mate. Okay. Uh, and the other one we just wanted to do a quick shout out to is uh, the Pilot's Flight Podlog. Blah, try saying that three times. Oh, quickly. come on. Pilot's Flight Podlog. Pilot's Flight Podlog. The Pilot's Flight Podlog. It's easy. Oh, gee whiz. Well, you are the man who's uh, you are the master of languages on this podcast, after all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really scary because I'm the one who's least coherent most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Anyway, folks, you may have noticed in the first ad block that uh, the guys at the Pilots Flight Podlog, uh, Will and Dave, uh, did a uh, done a promo for their show. Excellent stuff. Now, this is an idea that uh, that I, I sort of came up with uh, several months ago, and you will no doubt have noticed that uh, we've been running ads for the uh, Airplane Geeks podcast, and uh, this was the idea it sort of come about when we did the uh, promo for the uh, Potapalooza over there at Oshkosh and it sort of got me to thinking that there are a lot of aviation podcasts around and I, and I don't think that any of us see each other as competitors we're all just part of the one community so I think that the uh, the best thing that we can all do for each other is to continue to promote each other's shows on each other's shows so Grant uh, Will and Dave have done one for us we're going to do one for them Will and Dave have uh, been good enough to uh, pass the idea around to uh, many many others in the aviation uh, podcasting community so uh, we're really hoping that this idea might take off and that uh, we can all have a bit of fun and make our own little promos. I know Grant and I will have a lot of fun making making ours for uh, certain different shows, anyone who might like one. so uh, Yeah, if you want us to do a promo, if you if you will be willing to let us put one of our promos on, we'll do one that's uh, custom tailored to your uh, show. We'll have a listen to your show if we're not already listening to it and we'll come up with something that we think merges our, uh, our way of life with yours. <laughs> that's not threatening and scary to some people. I don't know what is. And don't worry, our American friends. Grant and I have both spent a couple of years of our lives living over in your wonderful country, so I'm sure we can find a way to embarrass ourselves in the most appropriate way. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So, yeah, that's uh, a really cool thing. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a shout-out to the guys there at PFPL. and uh, uh, let's Go on, you can say it. No, I just like the way that sounds, PFPL. You know, it makes me sound like an industry professional there, Grant, with my big radio voice. Right, roger that. Right, roger that. Roger, roger. And uh, the other thing I'd like to say here, too, is I'd just like to extend an invitation to, uh, to any other podcasters, particularly Australian podcasters. There are not a lot of Australian podcasters around really by you know in the grand scheme of things so if you're if you're a podcaster and you listen to our show or if you know of another podcaster who might like to do a promo for their own show um yeah just get in contact or get them to get into contact with us and uh we'd we'd really like to promote the australian podcasting community and the new zealand podcasting community this this region of the world in particular but uh we're willing to uh, have a chat with anybody from anywhere in the world indeed Uh, indeed we'll like uh, like to do this and uh, yeah yeah, let's uh, let's let's make this a free service that we all promote amongst each other in the podcasting game. Yep. 
Yep. No, it's always good to have uh, a, a stack of podcasts that we can promote and eat at each ad break. Uh, yeah, we're not going to play them all in one show, but we might take a couple of them here and a couple of them there and promote away. Definitely all good fun and helping to cross-pollinate our listening audiences. Yep, that's true. Okay, mate. Well, that's a uh, pretty decent-length show for uh, the first cab off the rank for 2010. Grant, uh, we're planning a pretty uh, pretty big year here at Playing Crazy Down Under, and I think this has uh, been a pretty good episode that we started with. Yeah, indeed. I doubt it's going to be only an hour and a half long, mate. I wish you luck getting it down to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, back into the arduous process of podcast editing. So, at any rate, we'll uh, leave it there for now. Just remember, folks, when you're surfing around the world of online aviation podcasts, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.plainecrazydownunder.com, or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plainecrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in, folks. And unfortunately, it took us so long to prepare everything and get ready for the show that there's no time to record it. So see you next time. Tune in next week. But for now, just read the show notes. Oh, he's quick. Oh, he is. Have you got a window open at the moment? I do. Okay, because it just sounds I can hear some uh, traffic noise in the background. Oh, like a window window. I thought a window in the computer. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) that real window. (laughs) You're not playing Need for Speed or something, are you? Okay, Shashank, and uh, when are we going to... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just biting my teeth from all the replies I could throw on that one. (laughs) Uh, Hang on, I'm just going to check that. Just sec, just sec, just sec. Sorry. Okay, here we go. I'll do it right. Okay, the next story... uh, Hang on. I'm just going to go back to that tab. I threw that at you then, didn't I? Had you heard that one actually, mate? uh, No. (laughs) Oh. I've done it again. I can't remember what the word is. Gloss things oh, over these kind of things. Nice f- sorry, mate. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I clicked on a link and made noise. Yes, it did. Such dedication. Maybe he's lost. Oh, it could be. Hmm. He is out in Cranbourne. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> well, he'll be mugged any minute. Anyway, moving on. Hey, oh, back, back on track. <laughs> 
Okay, should I press the record button now? Only kidding. Yeah, that'd be good.